Hello and welcome to the Emmanuel Croydon podcast. At Emmanuel Croydon, we exist to be a community drawn together by our desire to know and follow Jesus. We long to become disciples of Jesus who are equipped to serve him in the whole of life, transforming families, communities and workplaces as we love God with heart, mind, soul and strength. We hope you enjoy this week's talk from the morning services. Thank you for joining us today. Grace and peace to you. The reading is taken from Mark, chapter 1, verses 1 to 8. The beginning of the good news about Jesus the Messiah, the Son of God, as it is written in Isaiah the prophet. I will send my messenger ahead of you, who will prepare your way, a voice of one calling in the wilderness. Prepare the way for the Lord, make straight paths for him. And so John the Baptist appeared in the wilderness, preaching a baptism of repentance for the forgiveness of sins. The whole Judean countryside and all the people of Jerusalem went out to him. Confessing their sins, they were baptised by him in the Jordan River. John wore clothing made of camel's hair with a leather belt around his waist and he ate locusts and wild honey. And this was his message. After me comes the one more powerful than I, the straps of whose sandals I am not worthy to stoop down and untie. I baptise you with water, but he will baptise you with the Holy, Holy Spirit. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Well, good morning to you all, and uh, the occasion has finally arrived, it seems. It's been a very long time in coming, and I'm so thrilled now to be sharing God's Word with you, my new church family, on a Sunday. And I want to say thanks again, a massive thank you to all of you uh, who have made us feel so um, welcome in so many different ways. Now, it's been quite a, a first week trying to get to grips with the sheer scope of all that goes on uh, in this church. One of the many things that uh, I'm learning is that you lot love to put on a show. And uh, one of the ways that uh, I discovered this is that I was poking around all the nooks and crannies of the church earlier in the week, as you do, trying to measure, get the measure of what you've been, what you've been landed with. And uh, the curtain was drawn back just uh, on a, a little cubby there next to the organ and I wasn't prepared for this, an absolute mass of stage gear, enough lighting equipment to uh, uh, make a, a theatre producer envious, I think. And in there, amongst uh, many other things, were some spotlights. I've always been fascinated by spotlights. When I, when I was a, a child, we went to the Panto, and as well as watching the show, I used to love the challenge of working out when you saw the dame or, you know, Jack running around and in the spotlight, the challenge of working out where was the light coming from? Could you track the light back to some little person scurrying around at the top of the theatre? Now, of course, it wasn't easy. A spotlight may be the brightest thing in the room, but its whole task is entirely focused on drawing attention not to itself, but to the most important thing on the stage at the time. Now, I want you to imagine something. It's a bit abstract, but bear with me. I want you to imagine for a moment a stage. 
And on that stage is not a pantomime, but a play that has all the elements of the Christian life in it. Somehow on this stage, there's, there's an entrance to a church building with some people going into it. There's some people solemnly kneeling at a rail and praying. There's other people uh, who are helping out an elderly gentleman. There's a couple visiting a prisoner in jail. There's a family reading a children's Bible around a breakfast table. There's a sort of hero's gallery at the back with all the, all the, the, the heroes from the Bible, Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, and so forth. There's a vicar studying to prepare a sermon. There's lots more besides, all on this stage. All the elements of the Christian life and experience are being acted out on this stage. Now suppose you're the theater techie and you're manning the spotlight. And the director says to you, look, I'm not going to tell you where to put that thing, where to shine it. I just want you to shine it on the most important thing on the stage. It's your job to identify, to illuminate the most vital and central element of the Christian faith. So there you are. Where do you point that light? Would you go for the prison visitors or, or the conflict resolvers or, or those helping the elderly? In other words, to say, you know, Christianity is, is above all, it's about being nice, about being kind, about being compassionate. Or would you... Spotlight the church, perhaps, instead. Will you focus on people praying and singing and doing churchy and religious things? Perhaps you might put the spotlight on the family around the Bible. Christianity is about learning important stuff. Would you follow along the line of the Bible heroes at the back? It's all about the history of the saints. Someone might end up focusing on the vicar, you know, thinking Christianity is defined by the people who apparently do it for a living. Or to put it another way, If you had to finish the sentence, Christianity, fundamentally, it's all about dot, dot, dot. How would you finish it? Well, it's with that question in my mind that we are beginning this new preaching series this morning in the Gospel of Mark. If, particularly if you're at home and you haven't got a Bible with you, do go and grab one or dial up the passage on your phone or tablet. I'm making close reference to those verses in Mark that we've already had read. Mark, as many of you will know, was uh, one of four people who wrote an account of Jesus' life as we have it uh, in the Scriptures. It's a great place to start if you're new to Christianity, because it's it's punchy and short. Uh, You'll be finished reading it in a couple of hours if you start now. It's a great place to start, and actually, it's a great place to keep going if you've been a believer for a while, because it gets us back to keeping the main thing the main thing. Now, how does Mark answer that question? Well, the way he starts his gospel, I think, powerfully answers it. He puts the spotlight in one place, decidedly. This is all about Jesus. It is all about Jesus. And as we see this, I'm hoping that we're going to come to understand, to be convinced of it ourselves, and also to be encouraged to follow the example of John the Baptist here, to be like those who like a spotlight, are determined to point always away from themselves and make him, Jesus, the focus of their lives. Now let's see how that point comes across in this passage. Notice, first of all, how Mark, the author, points it out in his opening verse. So he says, or writes, the beginning of the gospel of Jesus Christ, the Son of God. 
This is the beginning of Mark's, Mark's book. It's a gospel book at that. He says gospel meaning good news, wonderful news. In fact, earth-shatteringly good news. And the main subject of that good news is how people should all be better people. And No, it's not. It's not that. Of course, Jesus will go on to teach his disciples about how they should relate to each other, but that's actually not where Mark starts. That's not how he summarizes the good news. The subject of the good news, according to Mark in that first verse, is Jesus Christ, the Son of God. And it's like a summary sentence for Mark's whole book. It has little to say about religion, little to say about morality at this stage. Mark's thing, if, if you've got to boil it down, is all about a person. The spotlight is clearly on a person. Mark is saying it's all about Jesus. So that's from Mark's perspective. Secondly, notice how Mark points to Jesus next. He shows how the prophets also point to him. Verse 2, he writes, As it is written in Isaiah the prophet, I will send my messenger ahead of you who will prepare your way. A voice of one calling in the wilderness, prepare the way for the Lord, make straight paths for him. And so John the Baptist appeared in the wilderness, preaching a baptism of repentance for the forgiveness of sins. So having given us his summary, Mark, as it were, begins before the beginning. He quotes some words originally spoken at least 500 years before Jesus' birth by this Old Testament prophet named Isaiah and probably another prophet named Malachi as well. And Isaiah the prophet had predicted two things. We'll start with the second one. The second one was the Lord is coming. In a new and special way, Isaiah said, God is going to come to his people. That's verse 3. And before that coming, verse 2, probably from Malachi here, God is going to send along a messenger to prepare for that coming. Now we fast forward 500 years or so, John the Baptist has appeared, and he gets up, he starts preaching, he starts acting like a messenger of God, and in particular he's calling people to repentance, to stop living the way they had been, to turn around, to live God's way, and why is he doing that? Well, he's doing it because God's coming, they've got to be ready. It's a tiny bit like, if you remember those days, or they may be relevant to you now, uh, when you hear the landlord is coming round. You know, and you suddenly remember the kids have colored in the drawing room wall in pink and green crayon, and, and so you get scrubbing, because it's his house after all, and, and you've signed that contract that says you're not going to trash it. It's time to get ready. Now, that's also a really bad illustration in lots of ways, because God is not a mean landlord, and sin is much deeper and harder to fix than a superficial mark on the wall, but hopefully you get the point. Do you see the logic of these, these quotations, these Old Testament quotations? We're supposed to put two and two together. Ages ago, Mark says, first, God said there was going to be a messenger who would be preparing his way, and then God would come. Now, people, John the Baptist is the messenger. Who's going to be next? It's going to be the Lord. So we're looking at the Lord. Where is he? Where is this Lord? Verse 9, Mark tells us, at that time, Jesus came. Jesus is the Lord. Now you begin to grasp why this good news is all about this person. There's no higher title, is there, that can be given. There is no more important name that Jesus could have had. 
So Jesus' coming is not just one remarkable occasion amongst others, you know, the kind of thing that you see once in a generation, perhaps a royal wedding or a jubilee. Now this is, what is happening here is absolutely unique. The whole of history, it turns out, has been leading up to this point. God is coming to his people. So you can understand why it's all about Jesus from Mark's point of view. So Mark points to Jesus. The prophets pointed to Jesus. And finally, as John the Baptist turns up, he himself points to Jesus. Verse 5 tells us, The whole Judean countryside, all the people of Jerusalem, went out to John the Baptist. They confessed their sins. They were baptized by him in the Jordan River. And John wore clothing made of camel's hair with a leather belt around his waist, and he ate locusts and wild honey. And this was his message. After me comes the one more powerful than I, the thongs of whose sandals I'm not worthy to stoop down and untie. I baptize you with water, but he will baptize you with the Holy Spirit. Now, why does Mark tell us all of this? Well, five and six underline that John the Baptist was quite some figure. Apparently, it says, everyone went out to him. Whatever that means, it must mean a lot of people. And not that he was a particularly attractive or palatable figure. What with his camel's hair and locust breath, he would make a somewhat unexpected influencer in today's culture, wouldn't he? But all that was clearly outweighed by his massive spiritual authority. So John is big, and yet the point is not about him at all. John himself says, after me comes the one more powerful than I. So whatever John was, the point is Jesus is much more. Now, how much more powerful? How much of a step up are we taking here? Well, see those huge statements that give the answer. The first one's there in verse 7. Jesus is the one, the thongs of whose sandals I am not worthy to stoop down and untie. Now, I didn't find these things particularly palatable, but I guess we all remember them. Do you remember those shoeshine booths that, that you used to have in stations and public places in the city? I want you to imagine for a moment the businessman is sort of leaning back into his armchair with his pinstripes and his financial times, and some humble kid is furiously polishing and buffing away at his brogues. You can feel that sense of hierarchy between the two. And John the Baptist is saying, he wouldn't even be worthy, he wouldn't even be worthy to do that for Jesus. That's how great Jesus is. John says, I, preacher man that I am, and with a considerable following, I don't even deserve to take the filthy sandals off his feet. That's the first way he explains how Jesus is so much greater. And the second actually comes after it, verse 8. And here John explains the difference in power between the two of them. I baptize you with water, says John, but he, Jesus, will baptize you with the Holy Spirit. So John, you'll remember, he told the people to repent in order to be forgiven, to be washed of their sin, you might say. And then to reinforce his message, he would, he would take them over to the river and dunk them in it, wash them. But that's all it was. It was just symbolic. It was only water, after all. It couldn't change a person's heart. 
But Jesus, says John, has come to wash people with the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit, that's God's agent at work in our lives. He's going to make clean what is inside of us to give us a new heart. And I wonder whether you've seen that happening in your life, even today. You know, I've met so many people who, who've come to Jesus Christ, and they really have known their hearts change through his power. The bad things they used to want to do, they don't, they don't have the same hold on them anymore. The new things God wants them to do, well, they have a new inclination, a new desire to do those things. They have a new sense of God's presence in their lives. They feel a totally new reassurance, the whisper of God's spirit that in Jesus, all their sin can be forgiven. Yeah, perhaps that's your testimony too this morning. John may have been great. Jesus is so much greater because of the power that he delivers. You've probably seen this before. It's a famous painting by Matthias Grunewald. Uh, it's painted just over 500 years ago, painting of the crucifixion. And in it, we see Jesus hanging centrally on a cross with John the disciple comforting Mary, Jesus' mother on the left. And on the right is one figure, John the Baptist. And although you can make out it's John, he looks a bit odd. Uh, one of the particularly odd things about him is his grotesquely long finger, which is stretched out, sort of bent over and pointing in Jesus' direction. And his head sort of seems to tilt slightly back and away from the limelight. And the reason I think it's painted like that is the idea is that no sooner do we look to John, we end up getting pointed to Jesus. And it makes John's message beautifully clear, really, without saying a word, this picture. It's just like the spotlight we considered at the beginning. What are you looking at me for, he seems to say to us. Don't look at me. It's all about him. So, we've seen how it's all about Jesus. Two questions for us all as we close. The first question, have you grasped that it's all about Jesus? And secondly, are you pointing in the right direction? Number one, have you grasped it's all about Jesus? People become engaged in the Christian faith for all sorts of reasons in so many ways, don't they? Whether it's the community, you know, it's lovely to be part of a church family, a sense of something spiritual, perhaps they come to church or they feel inspired or uplifted by silence or ritual or music. Perhaps they're looking for a sense of purpose, the need for some kind of secure framework for what's right, what's wrong, how we should live our lives. Perhaps people come into, get introduced to the Christian faith because of just cultural reasons. They just feel connected um, perhaps their parents were Christians. They live in a culture where Christianity is traditionally the majority religion. Perhaps they've been drawn to the Christian faith by a particular person whose life we really admire. So many reasons. And there's nothing wrong with any of those things, of course. But if all of those things, if that's all we've got, we have not yet grasped the main point about the Christian faith. It's all about Jesus. Without him, our faith would be like a play in which the spotlight is always roaming around the fringes of the stage. One where you never actually get to see the main character. And in the end, a faith like that, even we won't really get it. So let me say to you, if you're, particularly if you're new to Christianity, or if you're still working out, you've got some big questions, it's wonderful that, that you're here, uh, whether you've come online or, or in person. If 
those things I just mentioned are important for you. Community, spiritual experience, religious background, an inspirational person, a random click on social media that brought you here. You're welcome. It's fantastic that you're here. Let me encourage you. The place you need to look, the place you need to focus, is Jesus. In the end, it's all about him. He's the one you want to get to the bottom of. It's on him that the whole of our faith either stands or falls. When the penny about him drops, that is just the great moment. I remember a couple of years back, I would, was meeting up weekly to read through Mark's gospel with a couple who were completely new to Christianity. And it was just wonderful to see how uh, the, the wife-to-be's eyes were opened. We focused on Jesus. And every week she'd go away and she'd, she'd do all sorts of homework, come with all her questions. But she wanted to know more of Jesus. Now, perhaps that's something you could do. You could do the same thing with a Christian that you know. Do feel free to get in touch uh, with the office here if you want to explore the Christian faith further. Certainly join us next Sunday as we're going to delve more into the good news here in Mark's Gospel. And what is this Jesus, what, what, what is he about? I've been praying as I prepared that you would really grasp that Christianity, as they say, is Christ. So that's the first question. Have you grasped it's all about Jesus? And the second question is, are you pointing in the right direction. What made John such a great evangelist and prophet is that he was so good, he made it his business so resolutely to point away from himself and to Jesus. Now, COVID has got us all a bit on the back foot, hasn't it? Let's be honest. Uh, I'll admit to being a, a pretty grumpy about it at times. But it is actually a great opportunity to speak about our faith. I mean, if we're looking for kind of ultimate COVID-safe uh, solutions to problems, Jesus is the one. Singing may be banned. That's a bit grim, isn't it? Church may at times look like a silent ninja parade. But the most important thing is quite unchanged. Jesus, the one who is our hope in life and death, we want to be making every effort to point ourselves, to point other people past all the other stuff, all the way to him. He's our hope for our friends, our families, our colleagues, our communities. It is Jesus. And you know, isn't that actually a great relief? Christians are lovely people. Churches are great places to be. It's lovely to sing together and so forth. But we let others down. Churches can be homely, they can be reassuringly traditional, they can be cold, outdated, they can be even scandal-ridden. Spiritual experiences can evaporate. But ultimately, we're not banking on any of those. We are banking on Jesus Christ. So as we head into this new chapter of our life as a church, I'm really praying and trying to make it my business to keep pointing the spotlight firmly at him. Let's pray together that that would happen as I close. Heavenly Father, I pray that as we come to consider the Lord Jesus, those of us who have known him for many years, those for whom he is quite new, those who have many questions, those who feel perhaps even over-familiar, we pray that for every single one of us, we would know that our whole lives, your great story with the world, is all about Jesus. 
Please train our eyes on him. Draw our hearts to him. And we pray all this in his name. Thanks for listening to the Emmanuel Croydon podcast. For more information about our church and everything we have going on, visit our website, emmanuelcroydon.org.uk. You can also follow us on Facebook, Twitter and Instagram to see and hear what's going on in the life of our church. God bless you and have a wonderful week. Thank you.